All right, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of For What It's Worth. This is episode 68. So apparently there's about 68 hours of programming that I've given you for free because that's the kind of guy I am. I'm just about to sit down to a nice dinner of chicken bronzed in a nice layer of NyQuil. And, uh, oh, I can't wait. It just sounds awesome. I just peed in a bottle, trucker bombed that thing out the window so I wouldn't have to take a break and and avoid this uh, podcast. I'm getting it done. I've had a day that feels like I'm the last kid in a one-sided dodgeball contest. I'm the lone kid, and there is the entire team lined up on the other side, just ripping balls at me at at top speed. Uh, you remember those days? You know, you might have been the last kid. I got a concussion playing dodgeball, so uh, I remember it very clearly, at least parts of it. Uh, I fell, hit the ground, and a kid landed on my head, and then my head hit the ground. And I remember standing up, and my eyes were wide open, and I was totally blind. And it looked like fuzz, just like a TV channel where no programming. It was just gray fuzz with my eyes wide open. Somehow, I made it to class. But then, when my vision started to come back, it only came back in little bands, and the rest of it was clear. So the teacher was writing on the chalkboard, and I was moving my head up and down because I could only see in little strips. And she goes, what the hell are you doing? This was in Texas. Son, you got a panty on your head. She was like, what are you doing? And I said, I can't see. And she goes, why? And I go, because some kid fell on my head. And, she, and that was like 10 seconds later, all I heard were sirens and uh, ambulances and hospitals and flashing lights and don't let him sleep and all that. The day's kind of been like that. And today has been a day of just random. I'll give you an example. Can you set up this satellite dish, kill this mouse, teach this 70-year-old how to use FaceTime, check this book PDF, critique it, write us a quote. It just goes on and on and on. And I'm just like, okay, okay, okay. So um, I'm a little dazed and confused at the moment, but we're going to get through this because I think it's actually pretty good. Who is this for? For those of you new to the podcast, I talk about 10 random topics. And then I also give you a hero of the week and a goat of the week. And goat does not mean um, greatest of all time. It means ass, loser, whoever. There's always plenty of those. I've got an interesting hero this week. But who is this for? This is for anyone in the path of a Cat 4 to Cat 5 hurricane who two days before impact is interviewed by the media and they say, you're leaving, right? And the person says, you know what? My kids and I, we're going to ride it out. If you're that person, this podcast is for you. If you've got that kind of irresponsible adventure in you, then this podcast has your name all over it. We're going to, I think my kids and I are going to ride this one out. And then the day later, the same media person goes back and all that's left is the foundation. There's like not a stitch. There's no clothing. There's no wood. There's no appliances. There's no chimney. It's a foundation and a bunch of stumps. And you're like, hmm, this follow-up interview is going to be a real problem, man. So if that's you, this is for, uh, this podcast is for you. Our hero of the week could be out of right field for those of you not involved in, in sports or athletics or, or auto sports or motors or anything else. What's going on with my recording here? It's all over the place. My hero of the week is Italian Valentino Rossi. For any of you who are into the superbike uh, motorcycle racing, uh, Valentino Rossi is a legend in, in motorcycle racing. And he is, I don't know how many times he's won the world title. He's a very charismatic, flamboyant Italian who I think for the most part is universally liked by everyone in the paddock. And his English is absolutely fantastic. It's so heavily accented and so awesome to hear because he's always smiling and laughing. And he was a magician on the bike, man. I, Valentino Rossi was so good for so long. He's finally... You know, he's probably retired now. I don't know. But his name popped up on my radar, and I was like, man, I used to – that guy used to be um, – is there something wrong with this recording? Why is it not – one second it goes uh, – it's like spiking, like mad. What is happening here? I don't know. I'm not going to stop it. I don't have time. Oh, I just about snapped my phone cable. I told you, this day is awesome. 
Okay, that was the hero of the week. Who is this for? It's for anyone who says, I'm gonna, my kids and I are going to ride this one out, the Cat 4, Cat 5, where they're literally at beach level. Their house is, has sand on the front step, and they're like, we're going to ride this one out. Love those people, always have, always will. Valentino Rossi is our hero of the week and our goat of the week. It's hard. This one's really hard. But I think in keeping with the, uh, keeping with the hurricane theme, I'm going to go... I'm going to have to go with one blowhard to another. And the go to the week is Hurricane Ian uh, for just being such a jerk about the whole thing. And also the other tell, uh, side of this blowhard equation is Ron DeSantis in Florida, who is just such a monumental knucklehead. All he's done for two years is talk about woke culture while not preparing for something like Hurricane Ian. And by the way, for those of you who don't know about South Florida and the uh, and the climate change situation that's happening there, South Florida is kind of a bellwether for a lot of other parts of the world, and it's not pretty. The Fl- Florida is not prepared for things like Hurricane Ian. They put it this way. South Beach, Miami, you might have heard of it, pastels, Don Johnson with a with a Smith 45 and an ankle gun just smoking people right and left. Yes, that South Beach. South Beach floods now with no rain and no king tide. They spent millions to elevate one road six inches, right? Everybody who knows anything about climate change and what's happening looks at South Florida and goes, you are the most ill-prepared people on the face of the earth. And oh, by the way, they're still allowing developers to build in zones where they know it's going to flood. So the corruption level, the leadership in that state with Marco Rubio and Rick Scott and Ron DeSantis, you could, that is the trifecta of stupid in that state. And guess what? They're going to be hands out looking for federal money the second this hurricane goes away. And let's see where that federal money ends up. But I don't have, I don't have high hopes for Florida. It's a bummer because there's a lot of cool people down there, a lot of good things happening in Florida. And um, obviously, the where, where it's geographically located and the elevation and the sea, sea rise, and uh, the, uh, basically, it's in the path of, obviously, of hurricane season. So there are some issues there, but uh, I think DeSantos is just a blowhard. He's just smart enough to know he can con all these people who are not very smart. And so this whole thing, two years of an attack on, quote-unquote, woke culture while doing virtually nothing to prepare the state— and uh, guess what, buddy? You got what was coming to you today, sadly, because a lot of innocent people are going to get hurt because of, um, of bozos like that. And he is my go to the week. The second runner-up here is Mike McCarthy. Uh, that guy is just unbelievable. What's, what's interesting to me, and this is not just about Mike McCarthy, but it's about digital culture in general, is McCarthy's of an age where he came in late, late, late to the game with technology and the Internet. The Senate and the House are reflective of this across the board, both parties. These are old people who don't understand how it works. They don't understand that when you're on camera filming saying one thing, you can't deny it two days later and say, I never said that, because they still don't get the fact that that original recording is around, and it will be around forever. But the crazy thing about politics in America is that we have gone, we've sunk so low that they can do it now. They can get away with it. Even though you're holding the teleprompter in front of them or an iPad or a phone and saying, here you are yesterday saying this, they will look at the reporters with a straight face and go, I never said that. So McCarthy has gone back on every single thing he's done. But here's the thing about what I like about Mike McCarthy. I love the fact that he is so bumbling in his effort to get ahead. McCarthy is about one thing, staying in power and also gaining power. So he wants it's, it. Everything about him is about power, and he will do and say anything to remain in power and gain more of it in the future. And he is so transparent and so bumbling with the whole thing that it's a spectacle. And I have an appreciation for that because, you know, hurricanes wiping out American cities gets old after like 20 minutes. You know, I'm a child of the internet, man. I want, I want something new all the time. Okay. We're going to head on to the points here. Recap. Uh, this is for anyone who's riding out the hurricane against everyone's advice. Number hero of the week is Valentino Rossi. And the go to the week is uh, the blowhard versus blowhard hurricane Ian and Ron DeSantis. And with a runner up position on deck 
Mike McCarthy. He's, you could slot him in pretty much every week. And trust me, there's a ton of goats out there. There's way more. Um, whoever blew up the Nord gas pipeline in the Baltic, a-hole, major a-hole. Um, that could have easily made the list. But let's get on to the points here because they're good. Number one is I need to remind everyone I gave up my drone. I gave my drone away to someone here in town in Santa Fe who's a pilot. He's using it all the time. I'm happy. I don't miss it. I don't need a drone. Every time I see a film that starts with drone footage, I immediately go away to something else because it's all footage I've seen before. I see a ton of films that are athletic-related. Uh, have you ever seen a van life film where it's shot top-down, straight down on the van on a dirt road in the forest through the pine trees? If I see that again, I'm going to throw up. I've seen it 10,000 times. A, a lone figure on a peak in the mountains, I've seen it. They've now shot drone footage off of Everest. I don't ever need to see that again. What typically what a drone signifies is lack of story because it's a lot harder to do a story than it is to do drone footage. And so drone footage is like candy that's really most of the time, the vast majority of time does not add anything to a story other than like lightweight visual candy. It's just not that interesting because we've just seen such a proliferation of this footage that it's boring. I gave mine away and I'm super stoked that the person who has it is using it and liking it. I also gave away the drone because I do not like the government's forcing drone operators in America to take the 117 exam, and it's an every two-year thing. At least it was the last time I checked, and really that was only put into place because they dropped the ball once again. You know, the government drops the ball, does not see the, the um, amateur drone market coming. They fumble. They have no way to monetize this. They start retroactively fining people for not having a 117, even before people even knew they were supposed to have it. And then it's like, you have to do this because they're trying desperately to find a way to monetize this because it's only going to get worse, more and more and more people using drones. So I'm happy to get rid of mine. I haven't thought about it. It's just one less piece of equipment I have to deal with. Number two is I uh, am now a Starlink satellite internet user as of about three or four days ago. Um, I did not know if this was really going to work that well here in New Mexico. I'd heard positive stories and negative. But what I realized, too, is that a lot of the feedback and the reviews on Starlink are absolutely BS. They're just people doing and saying anything they can to get traffic and views, especially there's... So many of the YouTube reviews about Starlink are useless. They are basically borderline fraudulent because I think people are just inventing drama to make it more than it is. So I got this box. The, the bizarre thing is the box showed up, and it was covered in dirt, like, like sand, and it was really dirty. And I picked it up outside five minutes after FedEx dropped it off, so I knew it didn't happen here. And that was my first sign that I was not getting a new unit. I was getting a used unit. I opened up the box, and there was literally mud inside the box. And the unit itself had, like, residue of dirt and water on it. So clearly, and this is really insulting. When you're, when you're spending $700 for a unit, you would think you would have an option of getting a refurb for a discount or getting a brand-new unit. But to not take the time to even bother, and when people find out about that, they just blame they go, that's Elon Musk. He just doesn't care about you or anyone else. Now, here's the thing. I don't know. I don't, the guy's a you know maniac. He's doing his own thing all the time. You can hate on him all you want. There isn't anyone on the planet that's doing anything quite like what he's doing. And when I see that booster rocket land on a platform in the ocean, I still can't believe that actually happened and it worked. I would have crashed it into a like retirement center or something. You know, I'd be like, sorry, I resign. But I got this thing took me about 10 minutes to set it up. I took it out in the driveway, turned it on. The thing starts gyrating like an exotic dancer out there in the yard. I've got the, the, the uh, whatchamacallit, I'm spacing out. The router is not even inside my house because I don't have a hole drilled in the wall yet to bring the cable in. So I'm just like experimenting. The router is out front. It's outside. I come in, and within 10 minutes of setting it up, three computers online. And I am immediately doing everything I need to do online with the exception of uploading 4K footage or a huge film. So I haven't tested – at the, that point, I hadn't tested yet. So I'm doing speed tests, and I'm getting everything with my VPN on. I'm getting 50 to 60. And without it, I'm getting close to 200 megabits per second, which, again, for those of you in the city or 
fiber people or, you know, gigabyte speeds, whatever. I'm not even, I'm not dreaming of that. The interesting thing this morning is I got the unit up on the roof and then I, I stood close to the router. So I had a window open, the router's on the outside, I'm on the inside. And I got 600 megabits from the router to my phone and like 250 or 300 from the device to the router. So it's going to be plenty fast. I was able to upload a 15-minute 1080 film. It was slow, but upload speeds are slow pretty much. And remember, that's 110 bucks a month for this. For 100 bucks a month with the local internet provider, you get 1.5 megabits. So frankly, I'm pretty fucking impressed. Sorry, I said the F word. I'm pretty impressed with this device. I really am. That's like stunning. And it's pretty simple and it's small. And yeah, it was covered in mud. It works. So I'm a fan of Starlink internet. And also it's all run through an app on your phone, which worked. You know, with my luck and my technology history, that's saying something. So, you know, and it's funny because all of the neighbors have like sort of inquired like, what's up with that thing? What is that thing? You know, are you an immigrant? Uh, what, what are you, a socialist? No, I'm kidding. But they've come over, and I'm like, look, you know, 110 bucks a month, and I'm ripping here. And everyone's like, I hate Elon Musk. And I'm like, well, I guess you're going to be happy with 1.5 megabits because that is the only other option for where I sit right now. And earlier today, someone young said, wait a minute. Are you saying that you haven't had internet at your house? And I'm like, nope, not for two and a half years. And the look of utter confusion was awesome because um, it is weird to be in my position, but also anyone's position in the modern world and not have internet at their house, at least in the, you know, tech, quote unquote, tech world, first world, all that kind of stuff. But what's amazing is internet connections when I travel uh, elsewhere in the world often are far, far, far superior to what we have here. Uh, and mobile phone technology was literally at least a decade or more ahead in many of the developing nations in the world. I can remember going overseas into some developing nations way back in the day when I didn't even have a cell phone and everyone was communicating with cells and also doing their finances through cells. So I was like, wow, we are kind of, um, you know, we have hee-haw. I don't know if you remember that, but we have stuff like hee-haw and trucker movies. And yeah, you have cell phones and can do finance, but have you seen Chuck Norris in his stretch pants? Yeah, I didn't think so. Take, take a step back, people, because we're the best. Okay, point number three. For some reason, I'm jonesing for some kayaking. Some kayaking. I know, it's out of, out of nowhere. My parents, when I was little, did a lot of like river running. My parents ran the Middle Fork of the Salmon River two weeks after Sir Edmund Hillary went down it and a bunch of people drowned in his party. And the river was at epic high levels. It was too much and some people didn't make it. And my parents went down two weeks later and said there was like clothing and debris in the trees and everything, kind of creepy. And my parents had kayaks. They mysteriously disappeared at some point. Someone in our family may or may not have done something like sell them and not tell anyone and then use the money for nefarious purposes. I'm not, I can't verify that because it's been too long ago, but I got a pretty good hunch what was happening. So I, I did not have access to those because I was tiny, but there is a photo of me in one of these when I'm literally like an embryo. I'm just a gelatinous sludge on the side of this thing, and that's me. And my mom's like, Dan in kayak. So I have a canoe, and the canoe's great because I can fish out of it, and it's spacious, and it's, you know, it's collapsible, whatever. I love it. But I'm, I'm, I'm stoked, and there's a, I'm on YouTube, and I'm like, I need to learn a little bit about sea kayaks because I just don't know that much about it. Now, it's odd. You might be thinking, dude, you just spent the summer in Maine. Why didn't you do it there? And I'm like, well, because I was in the water every day anyway, and I had my canoe, and I didn't, it wasn't like mandatory. Now that I'm in the desert, I'm like, you know what would be really cool is a sea kayak. So I'm online, and I find this channel called Baltic Surge. Very, very German. Luckily, I don't speak a single word of German. I crumble in cold weather, and I don't have a sea kayak. So this channel is right up my alley because it's a young German dude who's, who's very German, but he has dark hair, and, um, but his accent is awesome. And I have no idea what they're saying ever. It's just this dialogue of sounds, sounds German. And they do, he's a filmmaker, his girlfriend I think is a filmmaker, and he goes out on these really cool kayak expeditions, 
And some of the people that he also goes with are also filmmakers. So you're getting a pretty decent, and especially the newer films, the, the films that are done in the last year or so, are really something. It like makes you want to get a dry suit and some, uh, you know, hand warmers, leg warmers. Don't forget your leg warmers inside the dry suit and get over there and do some paddling. It's Iceland. It's Norway. It's Germany. It's saltwater. It's freshwater rivers. And I'm like, man, this is cool. So I'm going to probably do a little post on my site about channels I like and, and add Baltic Surge in there. These kayaks are really cool too. And he's, you know, he's got like all the gear. Everything is with this guy. He's got all the gear. He seems like a super nice dude. And oh, by the way, he's like transiting through Germany to other places on a train system. And as an American, when you see that, there's a delay. There's like a, you know, in the old network television, they always had a delay. So in case someone dropped the F-bomb like I just did, they would be able to beep it out. When, I, when an American sees a German with a kayak transiting via train, there's a delay. Because your brain and the train is new and perfect and clean and fast. And there's not some guy like picking a scab naked on the floor, you know, and, and some guy testing for bubonic plague in the back of the car, which is what you get here. And so I was like, oh, look, they have public transit. So I like everything about this channel. The landscapes, the seascapes, the adventure, the quality of the filmmaking – and also just this concept of sea kayaking. And dude, this guy will go get a new a new uh, like kayak. He'll go up country wherever he is or down country. I don't know much about Germany. I think it's a perfect square. But anyway, he goes up there and he gets this thing. And of course, the guy he's buying it from is this like older guy, but he's cool and hip. And he has this perfect garage where there's all these kayaks that you can test. And everything about this, I just go, we'd never have it. Because the last time I went to test a kayak, I kid you not, I ended up in the most redneck place you have ever seen. If you've ever seen the movie Deliverance and that weird kid playing the banjo and, you know, squeal like a pig for me, boy, this was that bad. My brother and I were both there and we were back to back leaving this place because we thought, this is it, man. We're going to take an arrow in the chest and they're going to like, you know, I don't know, drag us into the river and do horrible things. It was the most redneck inbred thing I've ever seen. So when I see this like hipster, cool German people and the guy's like, yes, I live on this river and it's whatever. It's the most beautiful river in the world. And here's 50 high-end kayaks that you can test and train with. And um, yeah, just bring it back when you're done. I was like, why, why was I born here and not in Germany? So anyway, Baltic Surge, check it out. Okay, point number four is very, very important. Give credit where credit is due. I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago I was riding my beloved titanium salsa Fargo. It was about three and a half miles from the house, and all of a sudden, with each pedal stroke, I felt this very strange thing that I had never felt before, and I thought I had blown the bearings in my bottom bracket, and I got off, inspected the bottom bracket. It was fine. I thought, okay, maybe I blew the bearings in the rear hub or something, and I, the rear hub was fine, but when I grabbed the rear tire and moved it side to side, it literally moved six inches in both directions, and I was like, holy crap, what is that? And I looked down. The frame had split, broken, cracked in half, and I was like, whoa, and I managed to ride it home. Uh, I thought maybe it would blow apart on the downhills, and I'm a risk taker. You know, I was, I'm going to ride this one out, people, so I rode that thing home. And I was like bummed, you know, but I was like, you know what? I got 10 years out of this bike. I probably got 15,000 miles of mixed surface riding. This was a great bike. This was my favorite bike of all time. So I reached at the last second. I'm like, I'm going to reach out to Salsa. So I reached out to Salsa and said, by the way, the frame snapped, um, loved the bike. It's been my favorite bike of all time. Do you want images of the brake? Because maybe these images will help determine what happened. And then you can factor that data into future titanium frames. So I wrote back, and this super cool guy named Joe writes me back and asks me like five questions. How many miles? Where'd you buy it? What kind of riding? Do you have an image of the full, complete bike? Whatever. So I sent it. And lo and behold, this guy writes back, and he says, look, this is well outside of the warranty timeline, which I knew. I, was, I, don't even knew what, I didn't know what the warranty was. I just assumed it was long past. And he said, however, I'm going to exchange this in a goodwill exchange. And I read that three times, and then I wrote him and said, I'm a little confused. Are you saying that you are going to replace my frame? And he said, yes. 
And I was like, oh my God, that's incredible. I cannot believe that you would do that. And then I thought, they're going to replace it with a 2014, like equivalency. That has to be. And then I thought, that doesn't make sense because nobody's going to have those frames. So I wrote him back and said, are you going to give me a 2014? Or like, what's happening? And he said, no, we're going to give you the new one that's on the site. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Just when I thought, just when I was going to drive to Florida and drive the van into the storm surge, he was like, we're going to replace this frame. And I was like, I cannot believe that. There is a God. And so I, in town, is a brand new titanium salsa fargo and fork that is waiting to be built. Now, the tricky part, and here's where we're um, giving you a little update here. So thank you to Joe and thank you to Salsa for doing that. That is above and beyond. Now, here's the weird part. Bikes are still hard to get. Not all of them. But it's not nearly like it was pre-COVID. And components are the same. So I talked to my brother this afternoon, and my brother goes, hey, I'm in Texas, and we have everything, and everyone has too much inventory, and it must be a New Mexico thing. So maybe it is. But So I am trying to find components for the salsa, and it's really hard. So I'm sitting there, and then I reached out to a friend who's connected in the industry, and he said, I might be able to get you a set of components. And components are expensive, and I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And my original theory was one bike for everything, which is how I'd been using the salsa. One bike for everything. And so I'm clinging to this ideology, one bike for everything, one bike for everything. Talking to my brother who does like triathlons, he's getting ready to go do three back-to-back-to-back like 80-plus mile rides in the mountains. You know, he's a way better rider than I am. My brother goes, you know, don't cling to that. Get 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 however many bikes you need. You're 53 years old. If you don't do this now, when are you going to do it? You know, you don't need to do one bike. You can get a good, a good second bike for not a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. So I was thinking, sitting there thinking, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I also saw this story in bikepacking.com of this woman whose name escapes me. I should look it up because she's super cool. And they were talking about the Tour Divide race. The guy who runs the bike shop in Santa Fe, who's going to do my build, has done the Tour Divide multiple times and at one point got second place overall on a single speed. Let me repeat that. 2,700 miles down the spine of the Canadian and American Rockies, 220,000 feet of climbing over 15 or 16 days. The elite people are doing this in like 13, 14 days. He got second place overall on a single speed. So, and I also read an article about this woman who has won the Tour Divide now a couple of times. She rides a titanium single speed and flat pedals and work boots. I kid you not. And you should look her up. She's on bikepacking and she looks like the happiest, coolest uh, woman you're ever going to see. And I was like, holy cow, I've never had a single speed. And it just immediately put the hooks in me and intrigued me. And I said, you know what? I'm turning the salsa into a single speed. I'm keeping the handlebars, keeping the stem. I'm going to swap my seat post, which is an old, heavy, non-functioning thud buster, and I'm going to upgrade to just a tie seat post. I am going to upgrade the wheels because my old hubs don't work on the new new frame. And to relace hubs into new hubs into an old wheel, I can have carbon rims, like middle-of-the-road carbon rims with the right hubs for less money, actually. So... I'm going to upgrade the, uh, the rims, and that's going to make a real importance with weight saving on the bike. I'm also going to ditch the tubes and go tubeless, which will also save a little bit of weight. And this is going to be my single-speed bikepacking, commuting, grocery getter uh, bike. And then the secondarily is I'm going to buy a Canyon Grizzle bike, which is, oddly enough, one of the few bikes that's in stock. I looked at Canada. I looked at Trek. looked at Specialized. I looked at a ton of other brands. Everything is sold out. Um, and most of these places, like the Trek side, had nothing. Specialized, nothing. Cannondale, nothing. And so I was like, I'm not waiting around to try to get a set of components from God knows where, which is going to be another 1500 uh, to 2000 bucks to get the components I want. So I'm just going to turn it into a single, and everything else I'm going to keep except the wheels. And so that's going to be bike one, and bike two is a Canyon Grizzle, which I'm going to use for my road rides, my gravel rides, my training um, you know, sort of the one bike that I would take with me if I go in the van to go somewhere. But I'm telling you, and the Grizzle, I'm not buying a fancy one. You know, you can buy a seven, eight, nine thousand dollar Canyon Grizzle. I'm buying one that's about two thousand. It's an aluminum frame. It's right below where they get into the carbon, 
It's got a single on the front. It's an 11 speed. So it's, that's interesting to me. I've never had that. Um, I probably should do a double, but I'm going to go with the single, uh, just for fun. And it's not, you know, the components are good. It's got Shimano GRX and it has, um, DT Swiss wheels. It'll take a 47 centimeter tire may, might actually take a 50, but 47 is great. Cause I'm running 45s right now. And, um, it's simple, you know, it's a, it's a good bike and they're in almost in stock. I'm on a waiting list here. Um, and they should release one in the next week, week or so, but I am so stoked and miserable at the same time because I do not have a bike right now. And other than the Brompton and the Brompton here in the mountains and on dirt is not a great bike. So, um, I'm trying to run and do everything else to stay in a little bit of shape before these bikes come, but, um, oh, amazing. Okay. Point number five. I got an, a photo idea. Again, I've got a thousand photo ideas, and then I never, ever, ever get time uh, to go and do these. But this one has a bit of a time element because I would need to do it during the winter. So it's a, it's a, it's a test, and, and here's, here's the story. The first time I ever went and crossed the Mexican border was in um, Nuevo Laredo. And I went with my brother. I was in probably high school. We were in my green 1983 Toyota Land Cruiser FJ 64 speed. We drove down. We just got hammered, right? We ate some chiclets. We chewed on some chiclets. We got hammered. We had uh, some Mexican food, oddly enough. And, you know, we were idiots. And uh, I was like, huh, this is interesting. I love this place. I just immediately fell in love with Mexico. I immediately fell in love with the border. I was not into photography at the time. The second time I crossed the border was also in Nuevo Laredo, and I did go down with a camera. I was in photography school. I just started, and uh, I went down and just wandered around uh, Nuevo Laredo and made some street street images, which I still have the prints from. I printed like 5x7 silver gelatin prints and mounted them, and I still have them somewhere. There's a couple of frames, actually, that are pretty decent. They were kind of foreshadowing of maybe who I was going to be as a photographer. But the first time I ever really went to the border to make images was 1990. I drove to El Paso and I parked my truck and I got out and was greeted with absolute chaos. I made one of my favorite all-time border pictures within 15 seconds of walking out of my truck. One frame shot from the hip uh, with a Leica uh, or maybe – no, it wasn't with a Leica. It was uh, – well, take that back. It might have been a Leica or it was a Nikon because I had both at the time. And so I made this picture, and then that day I went on to make like eight pictures that I still have that I like because at the time, uh, El Paso was raw. You know, you had helicopters overhead. You had spotters, police and Border Patrol spotters on rooftops, and you had people just running, making, making a dash for it in the middle of the day, families, men, groups just running through the streets of downtown. Half the time, they were laughing. You know, and they'd come by me laughing, and I'd be making pictures and laughing right back. And I'm like, this is wild. And so I went there, and I was like, man, it had such an impact on me. And again, I love Mexico. I love the border. I love Mexican people. They're fantastic. So I was like, I'm going to go back to El Paso to the same place I was in 1990, and I'm going to take my Nikon F3 HP with my Zeiss 50. And I'm going to go reshoot that project, which isn't really a project. It's just a place. And I'm going to go to El Paso, and I'm going to cruise around and see what it's like now because I have a very sinking suspicion. And I've been to the border a million times since then, but it is a very, very different place now. But I'm also curious because I love El Paso. I always have. I think it's a fascinating city, and it's got a, real, a lot of cool stuff going on there. And most people are like, avoid it like the plague. And I'm like, El Paso is really cool. So that's a project that I want to work on. It seems doable because my wife said, hey, do you want to go to Las Cruces for a weekend? And I said, sure. I like Las Cruces as well. And that's close enough for me to jet down and, you know, I'll drop my wife off on the, uh, on the border, have her swim across, see what happens, maybe get some pictures of that. I don't know. She, she needs a little adventure in her life. Uh, okay. Uh, point number six is I am signed on to be part of – let me bring this up. Let me get my email up here so I don't screw this up. I'm part of a two-day event, which is a – it's called Photo Book and Overview. An over, so it's called the Photo Book and Overview of Traditional Publishing, Limited Editions, and the Artist Book with Mary Virginia Swanson, Susan K. Grant, 
joined by special guest Darius Himes, who, by the way, is a friend and is also the international photo director for Christie's. A cool, super cool guy. Deborah Hollis, Dan Milner, Ruth Rogers, and Philip Zimmerman. And all of these people. And Swanee, Mary Virginia Swanson goes by Swanee. And she's like a consultant in photography. Everybody loves her. She is high energy. Susan K. Grant is awesome. She is a, a art book expert. And we are breaking down just sort of an overview of what's out there. It's a two-day virtual symposium that will look at the increasing popularity of photo books today and how they find their place in personal, public, curatorial, and academic collections. From traditional publishing to small press, handmade limited editions to artist books, this symposium illuminates original and innovative approaches to bringing one's photographic project into book form. Through a variety of visual presentations and discussions, our speakers will provide a broad overview and interpretation of photography books, referencing historical and contemporary examples in many forms, and share how they're placed and utilized in collections. So, November 19th and December 3rd, two Saturdays from 11 to 4, U.S., that's Eastern Time, and um, I will post the details about this somewhere else. Uh, maybe when I do the write-up of this, I'll post it in there. And then I'll also be talking about this um, on my YouTube channel. This is part of Lalu's Workshops. And Lalu's Workshops is run by this woman named Selma Fernandez Richter. And she's super cool. And she's really good about putting these workshops together. Lalu's offers a lot of really cool stuff if you don't know about them. And um, they're also offering um, five full scholarships to photographers of any age and location who are facing financial hardship to attend the workshop. So it's going to be interesting. And um, I'll post all this data and information, but if you're interested in the photo book world, then this might be something that you may want to tune in for. So I will be there. Uh, number seven, point number seven, tomorrow I'm going to interview Elena Dorfman, who I interviewed for my Dispatches series Elena is the, the person and the photographer that I co-teach with in Albania. And we're having, I'm going to interview her tomorrow. We're just basically having a discussion about Albania and the workshops and photography. So I'm going to do that tomorrow. I can't wait because I finally got internet. I can do these recordings at my house. And I'm going to start doing a ton of photographer interviews. I talked to David Buto, who just did a book called Brink about January 6th. And if you don't know David Buto, B-U-T-O-W, uh, he has been a working photojournalist since I've been in photography. He also went to University of Texas and graduated a little bit before me. He's been around for a long time. He does really good work. He's got this, the industry figured out, the system figured out. And I'm going to interview him amongst many, many other people. And these are going to be video interviews where it's going to be Zoom. You'll see both of us, and we're going to have these discussions. So um, I really miss Albania. I got a PDF today from Rudy, one of our students from Brazil, and um, he wanted me to critique his um, his PDF of his book, his magazine PDF. And Elena sent me a film that she just cut, a little, just a short film, a little taste of what it's like. And I just, all I wanted to do was go to the airport and fly back. I just cannot wait to go back there. I love this place. I think, and it's weird because when you're there. And there's a lot, you know, we got students and you got transit and you got hotels and you got dinners and you got reviews and you got bookmaking. It's easy to forget where you are. It's easy to say, you know, I'm just head down. I want to do this. Yes, it's interesting. I get to look around. Yes, we get to do some hikes. But it's not until I come back that I'm like, oh, my God, how fantastic was that? I miss the food. I miss the Rocky. I miss the students. I miss uh, hanging out with Elena. And I, I miss all of the different places we get to see and do and the, the people and the experiences and practicing like photography that I don't get to do much anymore and making double exposures and multiple exposures. So <clears throat> I can't wait to go back. We have workshops set up for May of next year. And um, all I can think about is getting back there. And by the way, I'm scheming on how to get to the European theater earlier and maybe do some blurb stuff in I don't know, London, Berlin, Rome, Eindhoven. It doesn't matter to me. Figure out something, do something, interview somebody, photograph somebody. And by the way, by the time this workshop rolls around, I'm going to have a whole new kit, man, new cameras, new lenses. Uh, I am stoked because I feel like even though I've been there twice, I have not remotely come close to scratching the surface of photographing Albania. I could be there the rest of my life and not come close to it. And what's interesting is it's just now showing up on the radar. I saw a moto touring film about Albania. I saw a, 
an idiotic influencer trying to act like Albania was really dangerous as she was transiting through. And I just was laughing because I thought it's way safer than being in the States to go to Albania. Um, and it just made me laugh, but I was like, okay, Albania is, it's finally landing on the map. Okay. Point number eight, finally. And I have to thank my boss, Stephanie, for this, because she was the one that really put her foot down. I am the proud father and owner, not owner, cause it's not mine. I have a new MacBook M1, MacBook Pro Max. So I finally have a computer, a laptop that will handle cutting film and really handle all of the stuff that I'm doing um, that's content related. So whether it's just basic imagery or it's filmmaking primarily, you know, a, a f exporting a film on the M1 Max is like minutes where even on my tower, my 10-year-old trash can Mac, it's five, six, seven times the amount of time to do it. Um, 4k, forget it. My, uh, my, the, la the second laptop, I have the original MacBook, the 13 inch MacBook pro that I have as well. You can't even load 4k in it. It just it freezes, it hitches, it crashes. You can't scrub it. You have to use proxies. You have to look at it at quarter resolution. It's a nightmare. The thing overheats. You have to prop it up and hope that it doesn't explode. I don't travel with the trash can Mac. So I finally have a laptop. The interesting thing to me and this is not a complaint, but it's definitely makes you kind of makes me kind of scratch my head a little bit is the computer is thicker and heavier than I thought it would be. It's, it's, um, you know, it's not that MacBook air, which I'm sure is pretty light and small, but this one is, it's small, it's 14 inches. So it fits in all my backpacks really well. It's heavy and it's thick. And here's the other thing is like, I went to a meeting here in town yesterday and I needed to take my iPad because I needed the, the pen and I needed the notes and everything I had were on the iPad. And I was like, man, and I get this because this is strictly about finance is Apple does not want to ever do touchscreens or removable touchscreens on their laptops because it would kill the iPad market. But holy cow, when I look at what's out there in the PC world with removable screens that have pens that are touchpads, I'm like... I feel still like Apple is just raking us over the coals and making us buy these multiple devices because every time I use that iPad for 30 seconds, I go straight back to this brand new MacBook Pro and I start tapping on the screen. And I'm like, oh, it's not working. It's not working. Oh, I forgot it's not a touchscreen. That is just like it should be. Okay, so if you don't want to remove it, then don't remove the screen, but just allow for touch touch because it's so intuitive to use touch as opposed to the keyboard. Um, thank God. I don't think it has a, uh, that stupid menu bar thing, but anyway, I'm stoked. It's so nice and pretty and unscratched. And I'm kind of scared of it, but I'll eventually get to use it. Currently I'm using all three, all four. If you complete, can include my iPad, all five, if you include my phone, and like I said before, I feel like a kid, the last kid standing in the dodgeball game. Today, I had all five going all day at just warp speed. And yes, I had to take care of a mouse in the middle of that, which I felt bad about, but uh, I was out of options. So uh, I got that going for me, which is nice. Okay, number, um, number nine. I have to state this again. I've said it many, many times in the past, but it really begs to be stated once again. And I do think, that, honestly, that this is... Uh, directly correlates <clears throat> to some of the major problems we have in the world today. When I watch people wake up and the first thing they do is grab their telephone, that is the most disheartening, awful thing that I can see because I watch what it does to that person. It sets them physically and mentally on a path for the rest of that day that is so destructive and so negative and just so fractured that is one of the worst possible things you can do. And I have heard every excuse in the book as to why someone has to do it, and I have yet to hear an excuse that's legitimate. They are excuses, nothing else. It is about physical addiction. It's about laziness. It's about the, the beauty and design of these platforms, which were designed to get you to do just that. The difference between waking up and grabbing your phone and walking outside with a cup of coffee and sitting in the morning sun, I cannot stress to you the physicality of the difference between those two things on your brain and your body. If you are waking up and grabbing that phone, you are on a very, very slow spiral to the bottom because it wins. 
that phone and that technology and those apps and that's those stupid online news sites where you're like, oh, I haven't checked in in two hours. What did I miss? And you go back to CNN or you go back to where at Fox News or you go back to The Guardian or whatever it is, and you're like a junkie on this cycle checking for no apparent reason. It is so absolutely mind-numbing. It is why there are so many people turned inside out right now. If you're doing it, do yourself a favor. Just do a test. Just, just for two weeks, don't do it. Two weeks. You got to do it for two because you're going to physically detox. Do it for two weeks, and my guess is you will never do it again. Unless, like the exception to this would be you wake up in a hotel in London, need to make a flight, and have to check your flight schedule. That's one thing. That's logistic. That's checking a GPS to find where you're going for a business meeting, whatever. There are reasons to do it, but getting up and checking the news, getting up and checking social, getting up and checking your email is effing idiotic. You do not need to do it. No matter what you've convinced yourself, you don't need to do it. Okay, that was my uh, soapbox. Um, uh, Let's see. uh, What what, what am I talking about here? I think we're at point number. I'm going to ride this baby out. Okay, let's let's just wrap this thing up. Last point. It's going to be a short week, unless I can find uh, something in this office to talk about. That um, no, I don't think so. I think um, oh 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 foreshadowing. I just got some samples of some things that you people don't know anything about. That you don't know what's coming, and I do. And I just got myself three physical samples of something that look really damn good. And uh, I'm pretty stoked. That's all I'll say. Got that. That's floating around. I also have a printer that I gave up on trying to get it to do wireless. I have three printers to my right, two Canons and a brother. I gave up on your brother. I can't get that thing to work wireless, so I'm over it. I got a thermal can, uh, Canon, and I've got this big Pro 1000 Canon, which I never use, and I'm probably going to donate it because it takes up a ton of space, and I keep telling myself I'm going to use it, and then I never do. And it's probably three years old and I've never touched it. So probably can get what can get rid of it. It's like an old set of underwear. You know, you've been wearing it for three years straight, you can probably get rid of it. Okay, so something weird happened. Let me read this email here. Um, uh, Instagram, let me take in the details fall into place stamps from eBay, dust knocked off a grandmother's typewriter, a graphics teaching pal with a heat press and vinyl cutter, black fire in stock, bam. Um, okay, so I just got, this is the weirdest thing. I get a package in the mail. It come, my wife says, are you getting a package? I said, no. We go, to the, we go to the house, and she goes, you got a package, and it's squishy. So I, I, I feel it, and I go, there's clothing in there. And I look at it, and it's from someone I know from online. I've never met this person in, in real life, but I will at some point. Lives north of here. And I see his name, and then inside I see this assortment of goods from a company, a writing instrument company. And it has stamps from the country. It has my name on it. It has a return address in the language of the country where these these items originate from. There's a t-shirt. There's a five-pack of writing instruments. There's a, a case for the writing instruments. There's a sticker there's all this stuff, and I can't get it. I, I don't understand it because it's not coming from them. It's coming from this other person. And I'm s- literally sitting on the steps of my house saying, what is happening? What, what has happened? Did, they, did this company accidentally send this to this other person who I happened just out of the blue happened to know this person who then forwarded it to me? I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, this isn't, this can't be happening. There's no possible way. And then the letter that's included in it is single spaced, typed letter. And there's a name at the top, the company, all these things. And at the bottom um, is this name that I, in the back of my head, I said, wait a minute. The letter is from someone that's a different name. And now I'm completely confused. Because I'm like, what is happening here? So I reached out to the original person, and he just gave me the description <clears throat> of what's happening. And I, I'm not going to read you all the details, <clears throat> but 
let me read this through quietly by myself again. You know how it is. Uh, I must be taking the deals fall into place. Why uh, get bam? Kidding, keep me coming as I built lesson plans. Jet stream, pains drying, alcohol, first aid. Oh, then I say, oh man. So I'm going to leave it at this. It was a little bit of fantasy. It was a little, it was someone going so far above and beyond to present a fantasy as a source of saying thanks and also just doing cool stuff that I can't believe they did it because of how realistic it looks. I'm so stunned. Like I looked at this package and I thought this had to come from the parent company. This had to be from them. But then the more I read into it, I was like, wait a minute. This, how, there's pieces here. I felt like Jason Bourne. Like there's a guy at the bar who's 250 pounds and who also handles himself. I can run at this altitude in this weather for a half a mile before my hands start shaking. I was like, what is happening here? This is really cool. I wish, so, so you know, uh, JC, I want to thank you for this. Um, I definitely got a shock out of it, but also I got five pens out of it in a pen case and a t-shirt, not even a t-shirt, a really cool long sleeve, uh, amazing t-shirt, which I'll wear in a film coming up. I love this thing. Um, it's super comfortable and it's a color I would never normally buy for myself. It's awesome. And, um, what a really cool thing and generous thing to do. So I'm glad. Now he was saying that this was sort of a thank you for some of the stuff that I've been doing online, which is always nice to hear. And um, very cool. So I'm going to end it with that. That's a 51-minute thing. It is approximately 6.30 p.m. here in New Mexico. We had a bit of rain, sprinkles earlier. It's been raining almost every day. I got caught on my motorcycle in a pouring rain yesterday after leaving a meeting, which was kind of fun, riding in the rain. Um, it was cold rain, so I, I had to duck, and, duck in here and there to try to uh, not get completely soaked, but good. And um, the last thing I'm going to mention, and I will do a post about this when I'm finished with it, but I just started a book called Trinity Fields, and um, it's really good. It's a novel. It's about the uh, Los Alamos. It's about the bomb. It's about Vietnam. It's about friendship. It's about betrayal. Uh, adventure. It's a really amazing book that was suggested to me by two friends here in Santa Fe. And um, I'm like 60 or 70 pages in and it's really good. So if you're looking for a new book, Trinity Fields, um, and I can't, I can't, maybe the author's last name is Morrow, something like that. Don't hold me to it. You'll find it. I'll be back. Thanks for tuning in. Good luck to our brothers and sister of the Floridian nature because uh, they are getting hammered as I, as I record this, and that is not fun. So uh, remember, when they tell people to evacuate and some people don't, some do based on poor decisions and some do based on economic situations. And there's a lot of people who cannot afford to evacuate. They don't have any way to do it, and they are the ones who always take the brunt of poor planning and poor policy and the blame of people who are of, are of more means who look and say, oh, you should have gotten out. You should have gotten out. So there's going to be a lot of help needed. Um, I think Biden already offered federal aid. Uh, they're going to have to because I think it looks like this was a pretty decent storm and it's just gutting up the middle of the of the state right now. So uh, everybody keep an eye out. Hopefully if you're there, you got the hatches battened down. And uh, or otherwise hope you got out and I will be back uh, next week. Ciao.